Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today we're going to be talking about part five of a series on the corrupt discourse in the place of images and narration in our current culture. Our first scripture will be Exodus 20, verses 1 through 5. And as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the comments section. So, with Exodus 21 through 5 as a primary backdrop, let's just dig right in. Well, good uh, day to everyone. Today we're looking at the uh, problem of images and narration and current events in our culture. I want to start off with a, what many people believe is a proverb of Confucius, but in my own background study, and I don't think he came up with it, it seems to have occurred the first time in uh, advertising circles back uh, in the late 19, 1800s or into the 1900s. Uh, the proverb is, a picture is worth a thousand words. Mm. Now, we're going to find out that, in fact, narration trumps this. Nonetheless, let's look at it. A picture is worth a thousand words. The problem with a picture is it's an instance frozen in time. There's always a before and there's always an after. And different understandings of a picture come to different people. You've all seen the pictures of, is it a man yawning or is it a man screaming? Uh, yeah. You've seen the picture of, is it a duck or is it a rabbit? You've seen those pictures, is this an ugly woman? And you turn it upside down. No, it's a beautiful young lady. So images by themselves can be misleading. Here's a quote from David Terrar in an article of his entitled, The Myth and Reality of A Picture is Worth a Thousand Words? Question mark. David Terrar says, pictures are important and can make an idea more memorable but words are absolutely necessary to convey the full story. So let's look at three things, the necessary, the good, and the bad. The necessary, an image needs an explanatory narrative. It's just you, images do not tell us anything by themselves, and we're going to be using scriptures about that in a bit. Images taken out of context as well, right? And images, the, right, taken yeah. out of context, mislead. Yeah. So it's necessary that an image, if it is displayed, needs an explanatory narrative. Now the good. There is good to be said about using images with narration. We're not against images. These days, preachers put images up on the screen and all of that. We're not this against this. However, it's got to be done right. Here is the good. This is from uh, John Medina. Uh, John Medina is a microbiologist. He's the author of Brain Rules. And listen to what he says. He's considered a, um, a knowledgeable person in this field. Quote, based on research into the picture superiority effect. Now, let me stop right there. The picture superiority effect refers to the phenomenon in which pictures and images are more likely to be remembered than words. Mm. And a ton of research has been done on this which is reflected in his book, The Brain Rules. Here's what he says now. Based on research into the picture superiority effect, when we read text alone, we are likely to remember only 10% of the information three days later. 
If that information is presented to us as text combined with a relevant image, we are likely to remember 65% of the information three days later. Mm. And I believe that is true. I myself, and I stumbled upon this just because of things I look into, years ago, using images to remember things I need to get when I go to the grocery store. Mm. Uh, a couple of years ago, the Aetna nurse was testing me because I'm an old guy if I could have good short-term memory. So she said, remember this, you know, and it was like a dog, uh, eggs, and some other, and immediately I just transferred it to an image in my head. And when mm. she came back three months later, she said, what did I tell you remember? And I just remembered, it's a dog, it's an egg. And so you put images together. You know, I it from school too, I remember, I can remember like Roosevelt's speech, what what he said, uh, you know, with the Japanese attack of Pearl Harbor. Uh, and I, I, I just can see the image of him up at the microphone and I... That comes to mind. The same thing with Kennedy, you know, when he was in front of the microphone, you know, asked not what uh, your country can right. do for you. Um, you know, and that dastardly attack by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. I, whenever, when I see those pictures, immediately those, those, those speeches come to mind. Exactly, exactly. So, in current events, as we have them right now, that's why we call them current, images rule and confirm the narrative. Let me give you an example. You've all heard about the issue with Nick Sandman. I use him because people on the left as well as people on the right got this wrong. As a result, CNN and the Washington Post have put forth a lot of money to Mr. Sandman because of what they did. They blew it. When I looked at that image for the first time of him and by the, uh, the fellow, the American native drumming, because of my study in images, and by the way, I've done this for decades because of uh, being a fan of Marshall McLuhan, who we've got a quote from in just a few minutes. What I saw in Nick Salmon's face was confliction. To me, he appeared to be somewhat uncomfortable, and yet people from the left and from the right were condemning him. Now, I've developed a rule of this, and it's called the 48-hour rule. Mm -hmm. Whenever you see an image on news, whatever they're saying about it, whoever you're listening to, wait 48 hours before you yourself decide what is going on here. Now, the Christian expectation is that narration rules, narration dominates, and images, secondarily, as they are used, are explained thereby. In the Bible, narration is superior to image, and images, except for the times you have dreams and visions, come off as being problematic at best. So let's take a look first where this shows up, in the Decalogue of Exodus 20, verses 1 through 5. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Okay, as we listen to that reading by Randy, one of the things that would, should strike us is that it's the images that are forbidden. Nothing is said about the mythology that mm. goes with these images. He doesn't say, now listen, don't buy into the mythology of Isis and Osiris, where you just came from Egypt, where they are predominant gods. Are, are the image of uh, and the narration and the myth that goes with Baal, the storm god, which was so predominant 
and the area in which uh, Israel came into to take over. Baal was the main god. He shows up time and time again. And there are stories about him and the concert queen that he has with him, the goddess, and etc. It is solely on the image. Why is that? As we've already seen, it's been established. Images remain. Mm -hmm. Images dominate. And these images, the idols, uh, are going to be used to keep the narration, which is a lie, going. How important is this to um, the Jewish orthodoxy? Let's take a look at Acts 14, and Randy is going to read just in a moment, verses 14 and 15. What is happening is that Paul is in the pagan city of Lystra. He sees that a man has the faith to be healed. He is healed. This causes a riot. The people begin to speak in their own dialect. Paul and Barnabas have no idea what's going on, but they decided that Paul and Barnabas are gods who come down among them, <laughs> and so they're going to have some sacrifices made to them and worship them and so forth and so on. And so that brings us then to Acts 14, verses 14 and 15. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Notice, here again, you have a problem with the image. And this time, it's, it's interesting enough, it's Paul and Barnabas who are in the image of God because we're all made in the image of God, but we're not God. Mm. The only one in God's image who can be worshipped is Jesus. Mm. And we get that clear through the Gospel of John. But what happens here is that Paul and Barnabas are so upset, they do the Jewish thing of, of tearing their robes to show their grief and the mistake these people have made. And then what does Paul do immediately? He says, no, the narrative is first. There is a God, not us, who made heaven and earth. And he goes on with a short sermon before he's finally interrupted again. They have to conclude it. But the, he makes the point. The oration must come first, and then images can be understood and put in their proper place. In the culture we're in today, uh, the image confirms the narration, the lie, which is what it's called, as we will see here shortly in uh, in the scripture. In fact, the image trumps the narrative. The image rules. When I was teaching uh, history, uh, this would go back to my world history classes back in the uh, 1980s, one of the things I had to deal with as a Christian was the teaching of evolution, which I always taught as, in fact, a theory. I always made it plain to the students it was not a good theory. I'd give a couple of three reasons <laughs> why. But the problem with this was the textbook. Because although the textbook would have narration, there was an image there. Uh, first, some, some subhuman coming up and bent over and dragging. And then the next picture, after two, three million years, standing more and more until you come to what was called Homo erectus, standing upright. I remember and that. then eventually Homo sapien, yeah. you know. And then you get Homo sapiens sapien, which is pretty much what we're supposed to be like today. I guarantee you and know that that image with the kids I taught, that stayed with them. It did. The narration, forget it, forget yeah. it. There's been evolutions of that image too with people uh, uh, working at uh, uh, technology, working at a computer where they evolved from being slumped over standing yeah. up <laughs> to being slumped over again. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, it's an effective image, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it's that's what good. stays with the kids more than whatever was the text that was in the book that we were using. Now, the Christian expectation is that narration explains the image. 
the narration is true, so the image must be true. It must be explained that there's any problems with what's being presented. That is why we have these kind of passages where narration is superior. Uh, let's look at Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Yes, and that quote from the Old Testament, which brings uh, it up to date in the New Testament and into fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus, is without any image whatsoever. It needs no image. One could add an image to it these days, I suppose. You could put a picture of a prophet up there on the screen or something of that sort. But it, the narration is superior. It doesn't need an image. If an image comes, the narration will explain the image. For example, in Acts chapter 10, Peter falls asleep on top of a rooftop, and uh, he's hungry when he falls asleep, and he has a vision of a big sheet coming down out of the sky with animals in it, that are unclean, and he hears a voice from heaven, voice of the Lord, saying, Rise and eat. And Peter says, I can't do that. I'm an Orthodox Jew. I don't eat unclean things. Well, this happens three times. Peter wakes up, but he has no narration. How is he going to figure out what this is about? We don't have time to go into it, but as you go through Acts 10, then again into 11, when he finally meets Cornelius, the Gentile, who normally is considered unclean by Jews, and realizes he's the one who's supposed to be carrying the gospel, that's the narration. Cornelius needs the narration. Mm -hmm. That's what the image is about. Cornelius and, is part of the unclean things. That that's right. That's right. And, and that they are to be um, now, because the last thing that Peter hears in that vision is what um, I call uh, clean, you cannot call unclean. Mm. So um, the narration is the gospel, and it applies eventually to Cornelius and his household. Uh, in Acts 16, uh, twice Paul and his entourage have tried to figure out where to take the gospel next and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ has stopped them twice from going to places. So they, they stop, they're, they're holed up and then Paul has a, a dream, a vision of the night where he sees a man of Macedonia who says, come over here and help us. Mm -hmm. And then Luke says, uh, well, we concluded. We, I mean, they discuss it. That's, that's what we need to go because the narration that we're following is taking the gospel to people. The gospel helps people. And so, once again, the narration was used to understand the image. One of the classic passages in the Old Testament, it's a psalm, Psalm 19, which is C.S. Lewis's favorite psalm, he says, demonstrates the difference between image and narration and the absolute need for narration to dominate and explain the image. So we're going to take a look at the first three verses of Psalm 19, and then we'll take a look at some others that follow. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Okay, what is presented here by David in the psalm is the paradox. As a believer in God, the maker of heaven and earth, he says, I can look into the sky, daytime, nighttime, and I can see that the heavens declare the glory of God, mm. and the sky shows forth his handiwork. And although it's not given to me 
in words that are audible. It's not a narrative. I understand that this is the work of God, this mm. creation, this universe, the heavens at night, the sky and the sun and the, during the course of the day. Now, if that's all we had, that would not be enough because that poses the question, how do we respond to this, knowing that there's a God who created everything? What, what should we do? How should we do it? Mm -hmm. Where should we go? We don't know. This is why the second half of the psalm, and this is why C.S. Lewis considered it a classic, deals with the word of God and the narration, which is absolutely necessary and superior to the image to understand the image and understand it in its proper context. So let's look at verses 7, 8, 10, and 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. There you go. One can look in the night sky and be impressed, even if you're not necessarily a Christian, uh, just someone who's looking around, and mm -hmm. be impressed that there must be a God. Mm -hmm. But what does that tell you about the God who is, and what is our responsibility to him, and what should we do in light of this fact? You need the word of God. <clears throat> the skies at night or in the morning don't warn us about things that we should stay away from <laughs> and then doesn't tell us about things we ought to be doing because there is a God above us who has created all things. Marshall McLuhan, I'm a fan of his ever since uh, I started studying him back in the 1970s. He's no longer with us. He was a one of the pioneers in uh, modern imagery technology. The medium is the message. And uh, if you're interested, you can look him up and read all about him. But here's one of his quotes. We become what we behold. We shape our tools, and thereafter, our tools shape us. Mm. Now, to show you, that was Marshall McLuhan, I don't know, 60 years ago, something That's like good. that. But listen to this. The Bible preceded him by what? Let's see here. Uh, 1,000, and I'm not sure how many years, at least close to 1,000. And Psalm 115 and Psalm 135 we have the same passages that are put into these two psalms about idols, how men take them, make them by their hands, or made out of wood or whatever metal. And then the psalmist will say, but they have ears but cannot hear. They have eyes but cannot see. They have mouths but they can't talk, hands but they can't use them, feet but they can't run. And those who make them will be like them, and all who trust in them will become like them, mm. meaning dead, dumb, and deaf. We become what we behold. That's the problem with an image. And so if an image isn't truthful, it's a dead end. And to pursue such is to become dead to truth. And that's the problem with the modern culture and use of images. When we start believing that that's the truth and they're not, we'll believe a narrative that takes us even further from the truth because the narrative is a lie. And this is how we, we can continue to drift further and further from the truth. You know, it, sometimes Christians look at the world and are perplexed, but the reality is, is is we're told in Scripture that people will drift, even people that might be of the faith, will drift from the truth. And without a recalling, a retelling, a recalibration, mm -hmm. we drift into chaos. We drift into evil. Yes, and as we will see here in just a few minutes when we get to end this with a quote from Paul, 
Um, we need to be careful of images, mm. and we need to make truth and the narration of God prior, uh, priority on everything. For example, um, let's take a look at this. In the uh, parables, we have uh, Matthew 13. Even a parable which presents images to the mind needs a narration, an explanation. Um, he tells the parable of which some of you I'm sure are familiar, the, the sower and the four soils and the man who finds the treasure and all of that. But here in Matthew 13, 36, listen to what Jesus says as he deals with the explanation for these images in parable form that he's presented to his hearers. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. There you go. So to them, it was just about weeds in a field. They needed, even though it was a story that was told, the image in their mind needed another narration. It needed an explanation. This is why in Matthew 13, 9, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He never says, He who has eyes to see, let him see. In fact, when we go to the book of Revelation, uh, chapters uh, 2 and 3, when he's talking to the seven churches to whom he dictates a letter by way of John, each letter closes with this exhortation. He who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. We never have anything, especially in the book of Revelation, he who has eyes to see, let him see. It's all about the narration, and we need ears to hear. Let us close with this passage about the coming of what biblical authors and commentators refer to as the Antichrist. And we won't get into that, but this bears on our topic of narration versus images. We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And Paul there is talking about the coming of the lawless one uh, who's being worked on and Satan is working through him. But listen to how Paul states it in terms of images versus narration. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, you have on the one hand the Antichrist uh, being fueled by Satan, lying signs and wonders, mm. things that are seen. Mm. Paul counters that not with another image, not with a picture of Jesus and it might hang on a church wall or whatever. Mm -hmm. None of those things. He says, you've got to love the truth. You've got to love the narrative. You've got to love the story. And by that, you'll not be deceived by the images that are lies which everyone's going to buy into and which they will then confirm and believe in the narrative of the Antichrist, whatever particular propaganda he is pushing. And so we end with that from the Apostle Paul. Narration in the Bible always trumps image. When we live in a culture where image is used to confirm narration, always be careful of the image. Narration is everything because that is where the truth is given out for people to bring to heart. Well, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks, Jim. And we have a lot to think about. 
and I'm sure that there are questions or comments about it. And we would love to hear from you. So please send those questions and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your comment or question on air where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until next time, keep looking up.